nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the second chapter of John's Gospel this morning, uh, John 2, starting with verse 1. John 2, 1, and that's on page 1648, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. I have to re remind myself sometimes that, that Jesus did not come into this world displaying His power as the Son of God. When he was born, there was no ethereal glow over his head. Uh, I love these pictures of the nativity, which have this like glowing aura kind of over the head of Jesus. I don't really think that was there. He didn't use his divine knowledge to get ahead in school, you know, to make straight A's and be the valedictorian of Nazareth High School. He didn't use his divine power to be the best athlete in the school. Nor did he use his power to be the best carpenter in Nazareth. Could you imagine the advantage he would have had? 
he could walk into his carpentry shop and there's the pile of lumber and I don't really feel like working today. Let there be a chair. Chair. <laughs> the Bible says that for the first 30 years of his life, it was quite ordinary. Until that day when he laid down his carpentry tools. He was baptized by John. He went out into the wilderness where for 40 days he prepared for the spiritual battle he would face during his ministry. Then he went back up into Galilee. He called his 12 disciples. And then what does he do? He goes to a wedding in Cana. And it's there at that wedding that he performs his first miracle, his first display of divine power. A miracle that teaches us about transforming faith. And that miracle is found in John 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. I want to put this miracle in perspective. Ages had passed since that first sin in the Garden of Eden until Jesus comes to earth as our Savior. For centuries, the prophets had foretold the coming of a Messiah, of a Savior. And then from Malachi to Matthew, there is a 400-year period of silence. You know, a lot of people don't realize that. When you're reading the Bible and you get done with the Old Testament and then you flip a couple more pages and you're in the New, there wasn't just a, a seamless transition there. There's a 400-year period where God spoke not a word. That's why they call it the 400 silent years. And yet through it all, the people continued to wait and to hope. And then the day came, Jesus came into the world. But then there were 30 more years before he would begin his ministry. And then when he did, when the time came for Jesus to display his mighty power, 
what does he choose to do? He solved a catering catastrophe. <laughs> he provided wine for a wedding. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's the best we could come up with for the first miracle? I found this in the church's pantry, by the way. Didn't know we had it. Probably won't go back to the pantry. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, this, this is what we call preacher's wine. It's sparkling white grape juice cocktail. <laughs> it is a good vintage, though. 2016. Yeah. It's a very good year for sparkling white grape juice. But I thought it would make a good visual. So... I did have a couple people ask me why I had a bottle of wine hidden behind the cross. <laughs> and I had to say, you just got to trust me on that one. I'll, I'll, you'll find out later. But that's not how I would have done it. Had I been in charge of public relations for Jesus' ministry, <laughs> I would have said, no, 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 no. Your first miracle's got to be big. We have to at least make a blind man see, make a lame man walk. I, better yet, let's go raise a dead person. I mean, let's start out big to get everyone's attention. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, John tells us Jesus did not even want to do that miracle. He did not come to the wedding intending on showing God's power. He came to go to a wedding. But when they ran out of wine, and let me explain, you know, we may think, well, what's the big deal? Uh, you know, when we go to weddings, you attend the wedding, you stay a few hours for the reception, you go home. But in Jesus' day, a wedding was a communal event, and it would go on for days, the wedding feast. And the person designated as the master of the banquet was in charge of all the arrangements. And one of those arrangements was making sure they had enough wine for all the guests that were coming. Well, he had underestimated. And while the feast was still going on, they had run out. Now, at the very least, it was going to be a source of great embarrassment for this person. But it does not sound like something that would call for the Son of God to get involved. And that's exactly what Jesus told his mother when she came to him and said, they don't have any more wine. And Jesus said, okay. <laughs> Why do you involve me? It's not time yet. My time has not come. In other words, it was not his intention to perform his first miracle at that wedding. But his mother did what mothers often do. She ignored that. <laughs> and she just turned to the servants and said, do what he tells you. And really, who can say no to their mother? I don't know why Jesus changed his mind. I don't know why he decided to do what he did, but he did. But the, the bigger question that, that I have as I read that is what made Mary think that he could do it? Remember up to this point, there is no indication that he has ever shown his power as the Son of God. 
We know he's not performed any miracles because John says in verse 11, this was the first of his miraculous signs. So he has not done anything for 30 years to make Mary believe that he had the power to transform water into wine. So how did she know? She didn't. She didn't know. But she believed. See, and this is where I think the rubber hits the road of the Christian life for us. Many people will follow Christ as far as they know, as far as they are sure. But when following Jesus is going to take them beyond what they know, beyond what they can count on, beyond what they can depend on in this world, they begin to hesitate. See, Mary had ventured beyond the realm of knowledge into the realm of belief. She did not know Jesus could turn water into wine. He had never given Indian any indication that he could. But she believed it. She knew that he was special. She knew that he was a child of promise. She knew that he could trace his lineage not back through Joseph's family, but to the very Father in heaven himself. And she knew that God created the grapes that man could turn into wine. So she believed that the Son of God could create the wine itself. Are we willing to take those same steps? Are we willing to go beyond what we know, what we can count on, what we're sure of, to say, you know, I can't see any farther. I don't know where this path goes. I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know what kind of situations I'm going to find myself in. But I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. And I'm just going to keep on going. Mary also teaches us another important lesson. That belief is not enough. A lot of people believe in things, but it makes no difference in their life. It's only when belief is put into action that it becomes what I'm going to call transforming faith. And it was not only Mary's belief that was required here, but the servants at the wedding. That's why she turned to them and said, you do whatever he tells you to do. Now let's put ourselves in their position for a moment. These servants don't work for Mary or Jesus. Whatever household is putting on the wedding, they're their servants. And here's a woman they just met telling them to obey a man they don't know. And they have absolutely no obligation to listen to either one of them. Only the master of the banquet is the one they must obey. So why did they do it? Especially since it didn't make any sense. Fill jars with water and take it to the master of the banquet? Why would we do that? He doesn't want water. Nobody wants water. They want wine. That's just going to make it worse. 
So why did they do it? Was it was it the conviction in Mary's voice when she told them to do it? Was it the confidence in Jesus' voice when he told them to do it? I don't know. But they also were willing to take those steps beyond what they knew into the realm of what they believed. And it was a difficult choice because Jesus was not asking them to do a simple task. It's not like he told them, here, take one of these pitchers and go dip it in the well and go take it to the guy and then pour him out some wine. Oh, no. It was going to be much harder than that. Jesus looked over there and against the wall, there were these six large stone jars. They would have been about this tall. They weren't for wine. They were for ceremonial washing. But if Jesus is going to do a miracle, he's going to do it right. They're not just going to get enough wine to get them by for a little while. They're going to have enough wine for the rest of the feast. And he said, see those six stone jars? I want you to fill them. And then take it to the master of the feast. Now these stone jars, the Bible says, each hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. Do you know how much a gallon of water weighs? Just a little over eight pounds. I wish I knew that, but I had to Google it. <laughs> to, I, didn't know, I thought five pounds. I was a little short. It's a little over eight pounds. So we're talking about jars that hold 20 to 30 gallons that when full would weigh 120 to 180 pounds each. It would take two servants, one on each side with the handle, to carry these things. They had to take these six jars and they couldn't just go turn on the faucet and stick the hose in there and stand there and wait for them to fill. No, they had to carry these jars to the well, lower the bucket, get it full, bring it up, dump it in. Lower the bucket, get it full. How many times is that going to take? How many bucketfuls make 20 to 30 gallons? Multiply that times six. So we are talking a, an arduous process to fill these jugs. All because Jesus said to. And then they had to pick them up and take them to the master of the banquet. Now, at what point did the water become wine? As soon as they poured it in, they pour the water in, oop, wine. That would have made it a little easier, wouldn't it? That first bucket full of water, whoa, look at that. Chablis. <laughs> and just to impress you with my knowledge of wine, Chablis is a dry white wine that comes from the Burgundy region of France. Okay, I googled that too. I, I have no idea. But wouldn't that make it easier? The first bucket full of water, you pour it in, you go, wow, look at that wine, let's go. I don't think that's what happened. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think they filled the first jar, water. Filled the second jar, all the way to six, water. I think they picked these things up and they're heading to the master of the banquet with these heavy jugs and all the while they're going, it's still water. 
Water. <laughs> Master of the banquet sitting right over there. Don't get carried away because I called you the master of the boat. Look at that. You see what I have to work with all the time? I mean, they're almost there. Water. We're, if they took the master of the banquet water, they're going to be in deep trouble. Here's what I think. They get to him with six jars of water. And they take that ladle or whatever they would use to dip it out and they take the cup from the master of the banquet and their hands are shaking and out comes wine here you go and not only was it wine but what the bible say it was the best wine they'd had all day he said, usually you start with the good stuff, and then after they've had quite a bit, they don't know. <laughs> you know, after a while, they're like, just give me some wine, I don't care. He said, this, this is amazing. This is the best stuff we've had the whole wedding feast. Because I'm telling you, when Jesus does a miracle, he's not going halfway. If he's creating wine, it's going to be good wine. It's not going to be crummy wine. But I hope you figured out by now that this miracle is not primarily about wine. Turning water into wine. But it's about turning belief into transforming faith. Jesus could take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. He could take the mundane things of this world and use them as the raw material for miracles. It doesn't get any plainer than water, does it? But that was what he used for this miracle. He can take helplessness and turn it into hopefulness. He can take sinners and turn them into saints. He can take death and turn it into life everlasting. Jesus is in the transformation business. And he wants to take our simple faith, our belief, and turn it into a transforming faith. And that's the significance of this miracle. Because look at what John said in verse 11. When he's kind of summarizing the impact that this miracle had. He said, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, had they already done that? I mean, they were his disciples. When they walked away from their fishing boats and their families to follow Jesus, hadn't they put their faith in him? Sort of. They believed in him. They had begun to walk that road with him. They knew he was a man of God, but they were not yet convinced he was the son of God. They weren't sure where he was going to lead them or who he was. But they believed enough to start down that road. But when they saw this miracle, and notice Jesus doesn't take any credit for it. He doesn't go up to the master of the banquet and said, pretty good stuff, isn't it? I did that. Yeah, that was me. And the servants would have backed that up and said, that's right, he did it. 
they were the only ones that knew. In fact, he probably told them, let's just keep this kind of quiet, okay? Let's keep this between us, how this happened. But the disciples were watching. They saw him fill the jars. They saw the wine that was produced. And it said at that moment they began to put their faith in him. They took several steps along that road. Uh, and the faith began to transform them and would continue to transform them over the next three years as they walked with Jesus and witnessed his power. So the question is, will we take that same journey with them? Do we allow the stories that we read of Jesus in his word to be more than just belief but to become transforming faith Are we a, will we let him take the ordinary things of our lives and make them extraordinary you know the, the makings of miracles are all around us I, I like the fact that Jesus didn't just make wine he could have just looked at those jars and said, wine. There it is. He didn't do that. He took what they had. And he turned it into what they needed. And if that's not a life lesson, I don't know what is. How many times do we go to him and say, Lord, this is all I got. <laughs> I'm hanging on by the last thread. I'm at the end of my rope. This is all I have. And Jesus will answer, but that's enough because you've given it to me. He will always take the little bit of faith that we can struggle to have and make it enough. That's the parable of the mustard seed. He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, I can move mountains with it. Are we willing to go beyond knowledge to belief and beyond belief to transforming faith by taking Jesus at his word and obeying what he asks us to do. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for inspiring John to write this story in his gospel. It would have been easy to leave it out to look at all of the miracles that Jesus did, all the powerful things that he did in his life, and say, you know, this one just seems kind of small. But yet it's this miracle that allowed his disciples to take that step of faith that they needed to be with him at the end. And it's this miracle that can teach us about the power of transforming faith if we will but listen. So, Father, I thank you for this. And I thank you for taking what we have to give you, as small and ordinary as it may be, and using it to do your work in our life. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
sweat.